Good morning. We are in the season of Lent. Began on Wednesday. My son asked me why we put crosses on our heads. I tried to explain it best I could. Have you ever tried to do that? Explain to a kid a complex theological idea? It's hard. <laughs> but it's good practice. I won't tell you what I said. <laughs> Began on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, a 40-day journey toward Holy Week, toward the cross. And this morning, in the first week of Lent, the first Sunday, we're going to explore Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And before we explore this text, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we come out to the wilderness this morning, to explore this moment, this event, in which you did battle with the enemy, in which you were tempted and tried in the same way that we are. Lord, may you speak to us. May you remind us that we have all that we need in you, in our identity in you, and in the word that you have given us. Speak by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Who is the devil? Is the devil a red-hooded gremlin toting a pitchfork? Is the devil a complex yet likable character that the TV show Lucifer might suggest on Fox Network? <laughs> Is the devil worthy of sympathy, like Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones still sing, though they should have packed it in years ago, in my opinion? <laughs> Who is the devil? He's given three titles in our passage this morning. The devil, the tempter, and Satan. And these three terms speak in part to who the devil is and what he is about. Diabolos is the Greek term for devil, which means slanderer or accuser. 
Diabolos also shares the same root word, diabolain, which means to split or to tear apart. And I think that's a good description of what the devil does. The devil seeks to split God from his people. He's the splitter. He slanders God, falsely accuses, seeking to separate God from his creatures like he did in the Garden of Eden all those many years ago. The devil is also called the tempter, which is as it sounds. Through deceitful and manipulative means, the splitter seeks to lure people away from the will of God to self-gratifying temptations. He's the Satan, a term that has its roots in Hebrew. Satan means the adversary, the opposer, that same opposer throughout the Old Testament that has been against God. The devil, the tempter, the Satan is the chief opposer of God, the arch enemy who leads all the spiritual hosts of darkness against the triune God. And though he may sound like a character from a Tolkien novel, Though he may not, we may not fully see or understand who he is, the devil is real. The devil is a real, powerful force at work in the cosmos to steal, kill, and destroy all the good that God seeks to work and will. And we should not take him lightly. The devil is real. Many wise folk have said that Christians often make a mistake of thinking too little of the devil. Those who think too little of him, dismissing him as some ancient myth, often fall victim to his tactics and ignore his wretched influence. But likewise, there are those who think too much of him. Those who see him as some sort of equal rival power to God, they give him more credit than his due. The enemy, after all, is created. He is a creature. He is powerful, yes, but he is subordinate to the Creator. <laughs> and we'll see throughout this passage this morning that Jesus, who fully took on human flesh, just like you and me, has all that he needs to oppose the enemy by his baptismal identity and the Word of God. Through our union with Christ, you and I have those very same tools, those same weapons to overcome the enemy's schemes. You'll remember from a few weeks ago, we explored Jesus' baptism. Jesus came out and stood in line, you remember that? By the Jordan River to receive his baptism from John the Baptist. And Jesus' baptism is an important event in his preparation for ministry. Not only are the heavens opened and Jesus visibly receives the Holy Spirit, but at Jesus' baptism, two things about Jesus are affirmed. His identity and his mission. At Jesus' baptism, his identity and his mission are affirmed. When Jesus came up out of the water, Matthew tells us a voice proclaimed from heaven, This is my Son in whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. At his baptism, Jesus is identified as the Son of God in whom the Father loves and delights. That is Jesus' identity affirmed at his baptism. Jesus' mission is also affirmed at his baptism. When Jesus explains why he needs to be baptized at all, he explains to John that it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's his mission, to fulfill all righteousness, to faithfully uphold God's will, to live obediently, righteously before the Father in the way that Israel and Adam had failed to do before him. And of course, that mission involves Jesus taking on human flesh, being, being obedient to death, even death on a cross for the salvation of the world. 
to fulfill all righteousness. That's his mission. At Christ's baptism, his identity as the beloved Son of God is affirmed, as well as his mission to fulfill all righteousness, to live obediently before the Father. And you may be asking me, why are you recapping a sermon from a few weeks ago? We've heard that already. Get on with it. I get it. (laughs) But there's method to my madness. Because it's right after Jesus' baptism that he is led out by the Spirit into the wilderness to duke with the devil. And the devil makes an assault on two things. The devil makes an attack on Jesus' identity and his mission. The enemy attacks the very things that are affirmed at Jesus' baptism, his identity and his mission. And I'm thankful to Len Vanderzee for his thoughts on that. The devil seeks to thwart the will of God by attacking Christ's identity as the beloved Son of God and his mission to be God's obedient servant. Jesus has been out in the sweltering, dusty wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus likely stinks to the high heavens, his beard unkempt due to his 40 days of fasting. Perhaps his frame is now starting to look malnourished and bony. Jesus is human after all. How do you look after being out in the desert for 40 days? I'd probably disintegrate. (laughs) Be little left of me. But Matthew makes no mistake about it. He tells us Jesus is hungry. In all his humanity, he is hungry, depleted, tired, worn out. And it's here that the enemy strikes, seizing on Jesus' physical weakness. And the devil's first jab, his first swing at Jesus, is at his identity. If you are the Son of God, if You are the Son of God. The enemy says to Jesus twice, if. There's a lot of power in that two-letter word, if. With With it, the devil tries to stir some doubt about whether Jesus really is who God said he was, whether Jesus has really heard correctly what his father said about him out there by the Jordan River. But with that word, if, is also a challenge. If you are the Son of God, then prove it. The devil tries to generate some doubt, some insecurity in Jesus, enticing him to use his power to satisfy his own needs. Turn that stone there into bread. Aren't you starving? Throw yourself off the temple. Won't the angels come and tend to you like the scriptures say in Psalm 91? The devil knows the scriptures. If you're the son of God, don't you have the ability, the right, the privilege to demonstrate such power? Prove who you are. The devil plants words of doubt that might cause Jesus to revise who he thinks he is. But Jesus is secure in his identity. He trusts his father's voice. He doesn't need to prove it. A person does not live on bread alone, says the Lord, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus correctly heard his dad speak to him out there by the Jordan River, who said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus trusts and rests in whom his father says he is. That's a swing and a miss from the devil. And the devil, first swing at Jesus, missed, so he tries another one. He tries to land another, Christ's mission. 
The devil takes Jesus to a high mountain whereby he sees an array of kingdoms in all their splendor. I'll give you all these kingdoms, says the enemy. I'll give you their splendor, all these kingdoms, if you will just bow down and worship me. The devil tempts Jesus with all the kingdoms of this world without suffering. The devil tempts Jesus with the kingdoms of this world without the suffering sacrifice that the Father had willed for him. The devil tempts Jesus with a shortcut to kingship without the way of the cross. And this must have been tempting to Jesus. Because remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed, Lord, take this cup from me, Jesus is scared, terrified, worried about what is before him in this suffering cross, evident at his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. This might have been tempting to Jesus in all his humanity. But Jesus knows his identity as the beloved son of the Father, and he knows his mission. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. I will be obedient to death, even death on a cross, to redeem this lost and broken world. That's his mission. Christ's mission is not to simply own the world. It's to redeem it through his suffering on the cross. Away from me, Satan, Jesus says. The very same words he says to Peter in Matthew 16. When Peter tries to get in the way of Jesus' suffering, Lord, that will never happen to you. We'll never let you suffer like that. Peter says, away from me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Get out of the way of my mission. I will suffer for the good of the world. That's what I've come to do. I will make atonement for sin through my sacrifice. In the wilderness, the enemy attacks Jesus' identity and his mission trying to upend God's redemptive plan. And it stands to reason, friends, that if the enemy attacks the identity and the mission of Jesus, then it is likely that the enemy makes the same points of assault on us. The devil, the adversary, the liar, the accuser, aims to thwart God's will in our own life by attacking our baptismal identity as God's beloved children, and in turn, our mission of faithfully following Christ. If the devil can cause us to doubt who we are, who we belong to, whose identity we hold, if he can cause us to doubt that, then we will look for belonging and identity in other places and be ineffective in following Jesus as our mission. The devil attacks our identity of who God says we are. If you think about it, that's at the core of who we are. Everything lives out of that. Who do you think you are? Who are you? Who, 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 who? I promise that's my last classic rock reference today. It's my last classic rock reference, I promise. Who are you? What makes up your identity? When you find yourself at a, at a workshop or a, a, a meeting or a new youth group and somebody says, well, who are you? What's the first thing that comes to your head? Who are you? What makes you you? The biologists tell me I'm a complex web of atoms. The geneticists tell me I'm a combination of genes predisposed to certain traits and behaviors. 
The psychologists tell me I'm the result of my good and bad experiences. The sociologists tell me I'm the product of my environment. The culture tells me I am whatever the heck I think I am. My insurance company tells me I'm a valued customer. <laughs> there are many voices who tell us who we are, and some are truer than others. But there's another voice, a supreme voice, the voice of the Father, who through our union with Christ speaks over us the very same words. You are my beloved child in whom I delight. That is the core, the center of our identity. Those same words that we spoke over little Parker last week. You're God's beloved child at his baptism. At the center of our identity is who God says we are as his beloved children, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, adopted as God's own. And it's out of that identity that all of life flows. When we live out of that identity, we're living into the fullness of life that God always intended for his children. And the enemy attacks it through deceitful thoughts or manipulative words or through accusations and lies. He'll try to rob us, to doubt, have us doubt that identity, to decenter within who God says we are. That little nagging voice in the back of the head and the heart. If you are a child of God, then why do you look like such a screw-up all the time? Why do you keep messing up? and falling short. If you're a son of God, would you not look different in the way that you live? If you're a son of God, why do you keep lying and lusting and you're prideful and greedy? Are you a son of God? If you're a son of God, why don't you look like all the other church folk? You don't pray the same way that they do. You don't know how to find Obadiah in the Bible without looking in the contents. <laughs> You don't know the hymns. You don't know the catechisms. You don't get excited to go to church. <laughs> Are you sure you're a child of God? If you're really a child of God, would things in your life not be very different? The devil will try to have us doubt who we are as sons and daughters of God through Jesus Christ. The devil would have us doubt our belonging, God's gracious love for us, the assurance of forgiveness and our redemption. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is a pattern of behavior where one experiences chronic self-doubt about one's abilities or accomplishments. In other words, those who experience imposter syndrome never feel like they're good enough for anything. Those who experience imposter syndrome never feel like they're good enough to be around the important table at work to contribute to the conversation. Those who struggle from imposter syndrome never feel like their paper at class is on par with everybody else's. They have a chronic sense of self-doubt. Those with imposter syndrome thinks that everyone else is a better parent than they are. And they worry, filled with self-doubt, that they're going to be exposed as frauds, as imposters. And I think the devil... I think the enemy tries to sort of weave this imposter syndrome into the hearts and minds of God's people. Through a little whisper and lies, the enemy tries to stir
stir our doubt, causing us to question our God-given identity. The devil would rather make us feel like we are inadequate imposters than the real embraced children of our heavenly Father. And if we start to believe that we are imposters, if we start to believe the doubt and we begin to live out of that false identity, its effects are devastating. We start to look to our appearance for our identity. We start to look to our achievements, our status, our wealth, our output becomes our identity. And that's a futile quest. To live out of our God-given identity is the only way to live true, full lives. That's what God always intended. And the devil attacks our God-given baptismal identity. But Jesus shows us how to combat the devil's schemes. Jesus, in all his humanity, shows us how to combat the devil's schemes by resting and trusting in, in his baptismal identity and by combating the devil's lies with the word of truth. Jesus really uses only two tools, two weapons in combating the devil. His secure identity as the beloved Son of God and the words of Scripture. Essentially, Jesus overcomes the devil through word and sacrament, through Scripture and his baptism. It's not until after Jesus had overcome the devil's temptation that the angels come and attend him. Before that, Jesus used the same means of grace that, that all believers have at their disposal, the word and their baptism. Jesus responds to the devil's three temptations, not with his own words, but with the words of Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8 in and around that area. And this is striking. Surely Jesus, being the Son of God, could have come up with something more, something new, something wise, something fresh to challenge the devil. But instead, he uses the same old ancient words that you and I use, that you and I know. And this is striking to me because we see here Jesus in full solidarity with human experience. Jesus uses the same ordinary means of grace that you and I have, the Word of God. Jesus' mission, remember, was to be obedient to the Father, which meant entering into human experience in all of its fullness. And if Jesus had have turned that stone into bread, if Jesus had have summoned the angels to help him, he would have compromised his mission of full solidarity with humanity. But by quoting Scripture, Jesus uses the same old means that the people of God have used for millennia. Jesus fully enters into our humanity, even in the way he overcomes the enemy's temptations. He had to be like them, writes the author of Hebrews, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus, out here in the wilderness, feels the full suffering weight of the devil's temptation because, as Hebrews says, he is fully human. And it should give us incredible comfort to see in the midst of that temptation, Christ utilized the same weapons that we have at our disposal. 
the gifts of our or, the ordinary means of grace, our word, the word of God, and our baptism, word and sacrament. Jesus overcame the devil in the wilderness by clinging to and resting in his identity, declared at his baptism that he's the beloved son of God. And Jesus overcame the devil by knowing and rightly applying the word of God. And by the grace of God, you and I have received those same weapons to overcome the enemy's schemes. By Jesus overcoming the devil in the wilderness and by ultimately overcoming the devil on the cross, crushing him underfoot, loosening his power, Christ has made a way for you and I to enter into relationship with the Father, adopted as his children, sealed by the Spirit and marked as his own. And at our baptism, if you haven't been baptized, by the way, come talk to me afterwards. (laughs) But at our baptism, our Heavenly Father declares our identity. You are my beloved child in whom I delight. And God has also given us his word that through the Holy Spirit's guidance, we can learn and know and serve and enjoy God. In our baptismal identity and the word of God, we have been given all that we need through the power of the Spirit to overcome the enemy's lies and schemes. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) We'll find ourselves in the wilderness again. (laughs) Perhaps you're there this morning. We will find ourselves in the wilderness of doubt, of fear, of fatigue, of weakness, with the devil's ifs ringing in our ears. We will. That's the journey of faith. It's the journey of life. But no, that when you find yourself in that wilderness, God has given you all that you need to overcome the enemy through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we have a baptismal identity whereby we are declared as God's own, filled with the power of the Spirit, never to be separated from Him. And we have the living word of truth that sustains and guides. Throughout this season of Lent, But the Spirit's help, remember who God says you are. Lean and learn and latch on to the promises of God given in His Word. For there is power, strength, provision, and protection in the gifts that God has given us in Jesus Christ. Amen. In my grandmother's house in Dublin, in Cork Street, little cobble street in Dublin, (laughs) There's a copper bowl, no bigger than a a bread plate, that sits in the doorway. And in that copper bowl is a little pool of water. And for the past 60 years or so, whenever my grandmother leaves the house or enters the house, she dips her hands in that water. And she makes the shape of the cross across her forehead and her chest. When I was young, I thought it was a silly thing. (laughs) Why would you do that? It's very stodgy and ritualistic, isn't it? Surely you're not even thinking about it, right? Sometimes I would do it just to joke. (laughs) But I think it's incredibly wise. Every day, she was remembering the waters of her baptism. Every day, she was reminding herself of that voice that speaks in her ear. You are my child, and I love you. Live out of that identity. 
Perhaps this Lenten season, we could discover our own copper bowls, reminding ourselves daily of who God says that we are and in whose power we rest and trust and have all that we need in him to overcome the enemy's lies and schemes. Would you pray with me? Lord, we recognize through the words of the psalmist that we are poor and needy. But Lord, with gratitude, we thank you that you wandered out there in the desert for 40 days, tempted on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that you journeyed toward Jerusalem where you were crucified to atone for our sin. Lord, we thank you that you raised in glorious life to overthrow the powers of the enemy making it possible for us to come into deep relationship with our lovingly Heavenly Father. Lord, we thank you that you have poured out your Spirit into our lives. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your Word that molds us and shapes us and guides us and protects us in the power of the Spirit. Lord, this Lenten season, help us to discover who we are in you and who you are all the more. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.